Welcome to Founders Without Borders, a podcast where we dive deep into the journeys and stories of immigrant founders who are building generational businesses. I'm your host, Harshita, and I'm so excited to introduce you to our guest for today. Michelle is the co-founder at Type Dream, an all-in-one tool to help people turn their side hustle into their main hustle. She was born and raised in Indonesia and moved to the U.S. for college, where she met her four other co-founders in a CS101 class. They started building projects together in and outside of school, which eventually led them to build Type Dream together. Michelle graduated from college in 2019 and got into Y Combinator right after. In addition to being published in several magazines like Tech in Asia, Michelle is also a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient and has been sharing her journey of building a company in public on social media. Welcome to Founders Without Borders, Michelle. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me and chatting with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Harshida. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, just to kick it off, I'd love for you to tell the people who are listening to this, um, who is Michelle and what is Type Dream? Cool. Yeah. Hey, everyone. I'm Michelle. I was born and raised in Indonesia, and I moved to the U.S. for college back in 2015. And after graduating college, I decided to just pursue the startup life full time. And I'm currently building a startup called Type Dream. It's a tool for you to sell your digital products. Amazing. Tell us a little bit more about your life in Indonesia before you made the decision to move to the U.S. What was your childhood like and what was growing up in Indonesia like? Yeah. Um, growing up in Indonesia, I've always been that straight A student, so I was always fulfilled uh, academically. I didn't know what was more. I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. And back in 2010, my parents took took me to the movies, just a random weekend. We always um, see a new movie every weekend, and um, we watched The Social Network, that movie about Facebook. And I was inspired from then on. It's funny because it's just one movie, but yeah, that movie changed my whole life. I wanted to build a tech company just like Mark Zuckerberg. And since then on, I started watching every single one of Steve Jobs' keynotes, speeches, everything. Um, familiarized myself with the tech industry. So I started building really, really small projects like don't even count that in as coding. But yeah, I just wanted to familiarize myself with the industry. Learned a lot about what it takes aside from building the product. So yeah, learned about networking, fundraising, stuff like that. And 2015, I graduated high school. I forced my parents to send me here to the U.S. It was a really, really big decision because nobody from my family went to the U.S. And it's a really far place from home. <laughs> but I managed to convince them, moved specifically to the Bay Area. And yeah, there's uh, there's well where it all began. Was there anything specific about the social network that really inspired you? Was there like a particular scene or was it just the idea of building something and that going so viral and so many people ending up using a product like that? What was kind of that one moment or thing that inspired you? No, I think it's the entire movie. Just first one is I never knew anything about tech. When I grew up, mm, yeah, I was only introduced to doctors, lawyers, business people, 
well, I didn't know what business meant, but yeah, I just thought like somebody working in a cubicle. So when I watched that movie, I sort of discovered this new job that I could pursue. Wow. And then, you know, I know you mentioned that you had to convince your parents to send yes. you thousands of miles away. If you're the first one mm -hmm. in the family to go that far away, there's always mm -hmm. hesitations, there's concerns, there's fears that, oh my gosh, my daughter, who is only 16, 17, 18, whatever that age is, when you're graduating yeah. high school, wants okay. to embark on this journey on the other side of the world as far mm -hmm. as possible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What was that conversation like? Oh, it was really tough. I don't remember the details anymore, but I remember that it took me about a year to convince my parents to do that, to send me to the U.S. specifically. So they never really wanted me to go outside of the country. I believe that that's the case for a lot of parents in Indonesia. If you have a daughter, the norm is not to pursue that high of an education. Um, you can just study whatever and get married after. So it's mm. weird that first I want to go somewhere and second, somewhere really far. So yeah, a lot of neg negotiations there um, started from, okay, they allowed me to move outside of my city and then outside of the country, but to neighboring countries like Singapore or Australia. Yeah, but yeah. That, that negotiation went for a year until they're finally okay with sending me to the U.S. And even then... They wanted me to visit at least twice a year. I still. <laughs> That's fair. It was yeah. not easy. <laughs> Did you know anyone else? Well, not in your family, but maybe mm -hmm. your friend circles, or maybe their extended families mm -hmm. who had gone to the U.S. for college. I guess what I'm just trying to understand mm -hmm. is that how did you decide what college to pick, where to go, what to study, mm -hmm. and all of yeah. those logistics? So fortunately... Not my immediate family member, but my cousin went to the mm -hmm. U.S. also to another school here in the Bay Area. So my mom sent me to the, that same school that my cousin went to. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's like one sign of relief for them. It's yeah. like there's one that yes, we know. Someone they know. Yep. Right. And then if anything happens to Michelle, if she has anyone to like turn to, there's always that cousin who can yes. you know, help you out there. Listen. Okay, gotcha. Do you remember your initial days of navigating college and the country? Um, do you have anything to share from that time when you had just moved to the U.S.? Yeah, um, I believe it's this for everybody, but new language, new culture, which is really interesting because, especially the culture side of things, because in Asia, I was raised to be more passive um i don't mm. usually ask questions if i don't know something in fact it's shameful if you ever raise your hand in the middle of the class and ask the teacher to repeat whatever they said or to ask questions just because you didn't understand what the teacher said that's just the culture in indonesia or maybe asia in general but interestingly in the u.s it's encouraged for you to ask questions and even the teacher would like it if you ask questions did you eventually just kind of learn to adapt to the new yeah. culture and then realize that, okay, yeah. now I have to be less passive and more active participant in classes when I'm talking to people? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. there are a lot of um, different class formats here too in the U.S. Um, we used to have lectures and discussions. So in the discussion 
sections, we were encouraged to just talk to other students. And it's not like us ref- only receiving information, right? Which has ne- never happened in Asia. So that was really interesting. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, when you moved to the Bay Area for college, mm-hmm. um, did you end up meeting any other Indone- like people from Indonesia or yeah. while you were at the college? or? Mm-hmm. In fact, there were about 200 Indonesian students in my college. So, yeah, I, I, no when way. I arrived in that college, I was surprised on why I had to negotiate with my parents for a year for them to send me here because it, it was practically Indonesia. <laughs> Did that completely attract uh, people from Indonesia or it just happened no. that there were no. There were 200 Indonesians, but way more Chinese, Indians, Koreans. So just a percentage of the population. <laughs> right. I didn't feel homesick at all. That's great. That's great to hear. And then I know you had mentioned before, and I remember reading about this online as well, but um, you started building small projects, in, you know, like mm-hmm. after you shot and watched the movie. And then did you continue doing that while you were in college and taking classes as well? Yeah. Um, I met my four other co-founders in the first computer science class in college, CS101. I remember we were trying to convince the professor to give us a seat in the class because it was already full. So we had to stand at the back of the class trying to suck up to the professor by asking questions, engaging in discussions during the class so we could get a spot. And yeah, because if we didn't get a spot in that class, in that computer science class, then we would have to delay our transfer to another university. So I went to a community college for two years. Okay. And we had to transfer after two years. But we, if we didn't take that first computer science class in the first semester, then we would have to delay transferring because we wouldn't oh. have semesters to take all the computer science or to transfer. So yeah, we had to do that. We did it together. We got to know each other. They're all Indonesian. And we, yes, we had the same dream. We never wanted to work for um, other companies. And we started building projects together. I think we built about five to six different projects that we never end up finished building or even launched a product. But it was just good practice for you to like build yeah. things, but also build things with each other, right? Because yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, like, typically like as an international student, especially, um, mm-hmm. You're on a visa and then a very natural way of going about education is that you come to the U.S., you go to your undergraduate degree or your graduate degree, whatever you come here for. And then the most logical step or the most common step is to go get Mm -hmm. a job, right? Because that's for sure sponsorship. That means like you have a guaranteed income and you have a guaranteed visa status provided in a company that will sponsor your visa. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here Here's Michelle, who is like very certain that this is not what I want to do. Um, yeah. Where did that confidence or drive or dream come mm-hmm. from? So fortunately, the winter break before we graduated college, we met another immigrant YC founder. They were, yeah, they just got into YC and they were from Japan. And they introduced us to YC, to building a company as a non-citizen so we just followed their path nice yeah. so that That's was awesome. really, really great timing too yeah it's great that you were able to 
get such a strong, impactful mentor and then just kind of able to follow along like what they did. Um, because again, like finding mentors like that, that have done the exact same thing that you want to do is very hard to find, but it's amazing yeah. that you were able to yeah. find that so early on. Yeah, it was yeah. very fortunate of us. You mentioned that type dream, what it is today is not what, obviously, when you started mm-hmm. out to build products, right? Like you've yes. to different dimensions of mm-hmm. what you would want to build. Um, can you talk through what those different ideas were and then how did you kind of land upon the idea for type dream and what it stands today? So we built a lot of random projects from 2015 to 19 when we were in college. Some things we built, we built Pinterest for fashion. We built Netflix for indie movies. We tried to build a crypto arbitrage bot back in 2017. Wow. Because there was a 20% gap between the price of Bitcoin here in the U.S. and in Indonesia. Because oh, wow. of how illiquid the market was. Um, and then we tried to build a crypto exchange. And then we pivoted to the traditional stock. So traditional stock exchange. Yeah, for Southeast Asians to trade U.S. stocks because nobody wanted to buy stocks from Southeast Asia. That's yeah. what the idea that we got into YCU with, actually. The U.S. stock oh, for Southeast Asia. Yeah, but we never got the licenses and the regulations required to launch the product. So we pivoted into a passwordless plugin for no-code website builders. Passwordless plugin for no yeah. website builder. So if you want to build a website on Webflow or WordPress, and if you want to add a login or some sign-up functionality, we built the plugin for that. So you could just use our app to enable your users to log in or sign up to your Webflow website. That particular idea introduced us to TypeDream because it's already in the no-code website building space. Instead of just building a plugin, we decided to build a full-blown website builder. We started out TypeDream as a website builder. But then the mini pivot happened in TypeDream. People weren't using our tool to build beautiful websites like if you go to webflow then you would probably want to build a very beautiful customizable website people don't know that in type dream instead people build a landing page for the product they sell so a lot of them are specifically in the notion community because our editor is really similar to notion you can type slash for command yeah a lot of notion creators sell notion templates and they mm-hmm. use our website builder as the landing page for whatever Notion templates they're selling. And they usually sell oh. it using Gumroad. So since that's the majority use case, we decided to become an all-in-one tool for people to sell their digital products. So we're not only a website builder, but we also have the selling software. So you don't have to use Gumroad. We have an email marketing tool, so you don't have to use ConvertKit. Yeah, just combining the tools um, online business sellers need. Yeah, that's awesome. I love how the journey from obviously starting off with targeting Notion users and then eventually realizing, oh, understanding how users were using your product to, re- like, mm-hmm. to find those gaps where Pipedream wasn't fulfilling uh, or like there was, was creating those gaps in the market and then now evolving the product to including the things that Gumroad was doing, which is selling the product as opposed and as in, as well as emailing part as well. So that now 
Yeah. Type Dream can be that one-stop shop for anyone to sell any of the products. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I know you mentioned you have four other co-founders. Is that Next. correct? Mm-hmm. Four other. Yeah. A team of five co-founders. Wow. I'm sure you get this a lot because mm-hmm. find, like hearing about four, five co-founders is yes. obviously not very common. How can we all work together and how has the dynamic been working together and mm-hmm. obviously through the pivot and through raising money and, and YC and everything? Yeah. Um, the interesting part is that whenever someone hears that we're a team of five co-founders, they thought of it negatively. Like, okay, I only have one other co-founder and it's impossible for me to work with him. I can't imagine how you can work with four others, right? Yes. But interestingly, that is what we think got us into YC. What we think got us into YC is the fact how strong our friendship is and how strong our team is because at the time, of course, we did have a product. We wanted to build that stock trading app, but it never launched. And I believe YC knew that it was, it's hard to get the regulations. Um, and what we told YC was that at the time, we had worked together for four years, since 2015 to 2019. At the time, we applied to YC. We've built a lot of different products together. So, of course, we had our fair share of thick and thin. And that's natural for any any kind of, anywhere, right? Two or more people are involved, right? Like whether it's friendships or relationships. And same thing with like co-founders. You yeah. will have the, like you will have your ups and downs. And yeah. like great yeah. to hear that you are kind of able to use the length of your relationship and showing that we've built products for four years. And here is why we are the right people to build. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously you've now been building Type Dream since 2021, which is three years now. Yeah. Um what have been some of the unexpected lessons or learnings that you've had as you've been um, building and growing TypeDream? So for our previous oh, ideas prior to TypeDream, we learned how to build something from zero to one. Well, a lot of those products didn't even get to one, but yeah, we were in the zero to one stage. In fact, the passwordless authentication company before TypeDream was acquired by our competitor. So yeah, we got that product to one, but with Type Dream, this is the first product in which we, I would say we've hit product market fit and that we, we now need to grow it from one to N. And that's really different from growing a company from zero to one, because from zero to one, you can, you can always stick with one niche. Like if you want to pick the Notion community, then just stick with that and Mm -hmm. Um, every strategy is around that niche, right? You can focus right. on one niche, one platform and double down on them until you've received enough conviction that you've reached hard product market fit. But now drawing to, from one to N, you kind of have to, um, explore multiple revenue streams, mul- multiple strategies for you to grow even faster. And that has been Really interesting because we've never done that before. And I don't know what I can share with you all because we're not there yet. We are still in the process of trying. Yeah, that makes sense. I think obviously you realize some things will stick and some things will not stick. And then yeah, in just kind of double down on the things that will stick. Coming back to just community, I know you talked about mm-hmm. your user community initially being like the Notion community and very similar. Yeah. As a founder, 
um, community are finding that support system is so necessary or important for your own like journey as well, right? And mm-hmm. when you add immigrant founders to it, your support system, who typically is like your family and friends that you grew up with, are thousands of miles away. And when you decided that, okay, this is what I'm going to do full time. In addition to having your four co-founders around you, how did you go about finding mentors? Yeah, I would say I have two new families aside from my actual family and my co-founders. The first one is the YC community. Luckily, we got into YC just a few months after graduating college. So yeah, YC has been our family. There are a lot of other founders there. We are friends with a lot of them. We also seek mentorship from the YC partners still up to this day. We could still book office hours with them or chat with them casually. Um, and the second one is the X or the Twitter community. Um, ever since Typeream, we we started this thing called building in public in which you treat X as your journal. So you just post about whatever you did that day, what you learned, your mistakes, your successes, anything. You just share it with the community. And yeah, um, through that, you'll gain some following uh, of people who want to follow your journey, follow along. And they've been my second family. Oh, that's really sweet to hear. That's awesome. The product of you posting things about what you're working on and dive dream or like the, the wins and obviously the not so nice things or the yeah. really nice things are timestamps for yourself specifically, right? Like this is what I did last year and this is how far we've come, but also for other people who might be on their journey or who might be three or four steps behind and want to get to where you are. How do you see building your personal brand as being something that's helpful to aspiring founders and let's say i'm not a founder today but i want to be a founder how should i think about building a personal brand oh building a personal brand is really really important in fact it was our it's uh, till today it's our number one marketing channel so uh, we're active on x linkedin and other social media but we never post about our products like if you go to our profile you won't see anything about product update or try to sell your product things like that yeah we never do that instead we tell it from the founder's point of view like um the learnings that we got that we decided to build this product and how we plan to help solve a certain issue with our product so it's always from the founder's point of view so yeah building a personal brand is really important have you had any uh, anyone reach out to you because of you building in public? Yeah, in fact, that's our number one marketing strategy and it was our only marketing strategy in the early days. So I would say a lot of our customers right now came from Twitter. So yeah, they came from me building my personal brand and word of mouth from those people as well. From those people. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, I know we've talked about like a bunch of different things, but I want to get it back into just kind of you specifically and on Type Dream. You were <laughs> nominated on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Yeah, That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. What was that feeling like? And I know obviously like it is definitely a big thing for a lot mm-hmm. of like, young founders under 30 to achieve. Yes. Um, what were you feeling kind of in the moment? And I know there's a really cool story to the Forbes 30 under 30 photo. And I would love for yeah. you to share that with who are listening to as well. 
and really is I, honestly yeah. a testament to Michelle's just mm-hmm. kind of hockey mindset to get things together. But I'll let you share the story. Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Um, I didn't know that somebody submitted a nomination for for us. Turns out it was another YC company that got mm-hmm. into Forbes 30 Under 30 the previous year. But I suddenly got an email from Forbes when I was in the car about to eat dinner with my family. I was visiting Indonesia at the time. So, oh, perfect timing. I was rarely home. It was my first time home in a few years. And I get to share that joy with my family. <laughs> it was really amazing. I can imagine this, like, you sharing this to your parents. And yeah, uh, for them, yeah. obviously, like, understanding, like, okay, whatever Michelle fought with us for was kind of worth it, right? Yeah. And especially now that I have a greed card and I can go back anytime. <laughs> That's true. Can you talk about the hacky thing that you did for your Forbes 30 and the 34? Uh, oh, yeah. So the interesting part about our brand, like yeah. my brand, my co-founder's brand and our company's brand is that we're a venture-backed company. We're backed by YC and a lot of other VCs post YC. But the way we operate is as if we're a bootstrapped company. Because if you go on Twitter, very rarely that you see a venture-backed company build in public. They're usually more secretive. They're more corporate-y. You don't really see the people behind the company. But that's so different with our company because you see the people more than the product itself. So yeah, I've been getting a lot of uh, messages and replies from people saying that, oh yeah, Type Dream, I know the person behind Type Dream. It's really interesting how this company operates and that those kind of messages have been really warm to hear and we continue to act that way in everything so not just for building the company but for our Forbes photo as well um we inquired a photo studio and a photographer for us to get that shoot and I don't remember the exact cost right now, but it was pretty steep. Like if I don't, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably about two thousand dollars per thirty minutes, and we had to take one photo each person, and we have five people plus one group photo, so like six total. And oh if each session would take thirty minutes, then we would spend a lot of time, right? Instead, we asked our friend who likes to do photography and yeah we just asked him to come over we bought our own wallpapers and matched the Forbes bought our own lighting equipment and stuff like that from Amazon yeah we bootstrapped it basically we took our first shot sent it to Forbes and they hated it they were like come on just go pay for a photographer you got into Forbes why would you need to be cheap we didn't want to give up we asked them what we could improve on we asked them for some examples and we iterated based on the feedback so we bought a better backdrop um bought better lighting even looked up at youtube tutorials on how to achieve certain shots and certain lightings and on our second attempt we seen it forbes accepted the photo and when we got the actual magazine our picture looked the same as other people's picture. It's amazing. You saved so much money. You did it in such a creative way as well. I love that story so much. I even uploaded the BTS of our shoot with oh, like really? completely moved our, because we did it in our living room, in which was our office. 
we moved our work desks away. We installed the backdrop. And if you see the uncropped picture, you'll see our desks and all, all of our other stuff there. Well, the, the reason or like how we got connected was I saw your tweet about you getting your green card finally, um, yeah. which is absolutely such an incredible news. So first off, congratulations on that. That Thank is you. very well deserved. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you got it. And Thank you. And I know for a fact that that's going to take some stress off from your life. Every time I moved to the U.S. since freshman year, I could never only focus on my studies or my work because I had to always think about how to stay in the U.S. <laughs> but now that I have the green card, I finally don't have to think about that anymore. So, oh, such a relief. I'm very happy to you. Thank you. I know you were on O1 before EB1, yes. correct? <laughs> Can you talk about, for people who are listening, who might be considering yeah. the O1 yeah. realm, how long did that take you? When you first started thinking about O1 in general, were uh -huh. you kind of ready? Did you want to hit some of the criteria or did you have to yeah. work towards it to be eligible to get an O1 visa? So the requirement for O1 and EB1 are similar. It's just that um, they have a higher requirement to satisfy for EB1. So let's say for O1, you need to have three recommendation letters. For EB1, you need to have five, but same requirements, just more quantity. So when, mm -hmm. when you have an O1, it's really easy to just convert it into an EB1. You just need to gather more evidence. But for the O1 itself, there are eight requirements, I believe, and you need to satisfy at least three, but to be safe, five. But we okay. decided to satisfy by seven, I believe. <laughs> just oh, wow. Yeah. Overkill as always, as founders, oh, right? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> the hardest requirement to get for me personally is that your company needs to have funding and it's not stated prayer, but usually it's about $1 million USD. Since we had YC and we raced after YC, that requirement is checked off right away. And I say that was the hardest because the rest of the requirements can be worked on. So the rest of the requirements are you need to be a part of prestigious organizations in which you can, YC is counted, but you can join other organizations like any startup or tech organization. And then you need to judge, uh, judge other people's work. And what we did was apply to be a judge on various hackathons. And then... You need to write some letters, like personal statements. You need to get recommendation letters, and which we got from our YC partners and other people we know here in the Bay Area. Yeah, so the rest of the requirements can be worked on aside from the funding part. So since we got that funding part sorted out, we spent about four months to work on the rest of the requirements, and we applied after. Okay, gotcha. So it did take you a couple of months in total to go from figuring out where you stand today in comparison to eight criteria. What can you work on and how much long it would take in general, right? Yes. And then we paid for expedite. So we only waited two weeks to get the yes or no. So yeah, that was fairly quick. It's like a sign of relief too in the sense that, okay, you instead of waiting three, four months, that in that anxious state of mind, like, is this going to get approved? Is this not going to get approved? You just like, right away get to know how long did it take for you to get your green card? Um, we spent 
another two months to just add some more evidence. And the one month is probably just the back and forth between us and the lawyer. Make sure all the documents look good. When would you recommend just immigrants in general starting to think about the O1 path um, if they are a founder or, you know, even if they're not a founder, but they don't want to go through the H1B route, which is obviously so much based on luck as opposed mm-hmm. to merit. Um, yeah. How would you recommend people go yeah. around it? If you're a full-time founder, I recommend yeah. looking into EV1 right away. Just read the requirements and talk to a lawyer. We didn't do it ourselves. We had a lawyer. I think that's helpful. I know my, I have as well always thought about like, oh, lawyer fees, like they're so expensive. But I think like to get it done and to get it done right, going I and mean, speaking to a lawyer is probably the best way to go about it. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned, you grew up in Indonesia. You moved here for college in 2015. Um, two very different cultures, right? I'm curious to hear about the impact of culture on entrepreneurship and on you specifically, right? How has your culture and upbringing in Indonesia influenced the kind of work that you do and how you run your company today? Yeah. Um, So in Asia, people generally work more than people do here in the U.S. In the U.S., the average white collar people work from nine to five, whereas in Indonesia, people work a lot more. Um, some people work till Saturday and let's talk about Asia in general. China works 996, right? 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. So gen- we generally work more in Asia and that has impacted me in a positive way because I work way more hours than other people here in the U.S. and that has allowed me to build my company faster than them because I spend way more hours into building the company. And aside from that, I am not introduced to mental health and burnout. So I never needed vacations or stuff like that because that's just not the culture in Asia. How do you balance your working time and then, um, Anything else that you might be remotely interested in? Or do you feel like as a founder way, and the way you operate is mm-hmm. that spending as much more time working and then, like you said, fewer breaks and not really focusing on any other hobbies or interests or do you yeah. have a good balance depending on how you're feeling? Mm-hmm. So the first two years, we worked really intensely. We didn't have any separations between day, night, weekends, weekdays. Everything was a blur. Yeah. So... I did. I don't even know what time we woke up at the time, what time we slept. We just worked whenever we're not tired. But now we've grown a bit more. We have employees. We're more structured now that we are allowed to be chiller and pursue other interests. <laughs> now that you have a little bit more structure, like you said, take some breaks between things and yeah. then obviously continue working it later on. I know. Startup life and entrepreneurship can be um, sometimes overglorified in the media. Oh, this person raised blah, blah, blah money. Or this yes. person did this. Uh, and all of that is obviously great. But you know this and I know this and everyone who is deeply involved in the ecosystem yeah. knows that it's not just um, rosy uh, gardens, right? Like yes. there's obviously 
tough times that you have to overcome. Nothing is an overnight success. It typically yeah. is a culmination of a lot of hard work. And like you said, sometimes huh. no separation between day and night. Can you share a specific challenge that you and your team had gone through while you were building Type Team? Yeah. Um, so if you don't want to only see the happy parts of building a startup, um, I, I highly encourage you to go to X or Twitter because a lot of people build in public there. And if you treat Twitter as your personal journal, then you'll see everything, both the, both the good and the bad. So yeah, go there to learn from other people's mistakes. My journey with Tybrium has been a roller coaster. I remember this one day when I got my green card in the mail. So it was a really happy morning because I got an envelope, I opened it, and the card was green. Yeah, so it was a really happy morning, but not long after, like three hours after, we saw the news that our competitor got acquired by a really big company that would threaten our existence. So that's how crazy our lives could be in the, in the startup journey. <laughs> so I got the card 9 a.m. in the morning and I think I saw the news 12 p.m. Oh my <laughs> God. What a relentless day. Yeah. What, what was going on in your head when you saw that news? Oh, so at the moment when I saw that news, of course, I was really down. But after a few hours of processing, it's always like that. Um, nothing can really destroy you. And in fact, most companies fail because of suicide and not a homicide. So don't worry about your competitors. Interesting. What you're saying is that yeah. you can be the, you shouldn't be letting yourself down or like mm -hmm. making like decisions for yourself based on just what someone else has done or what you see in the news, right? Like you don't typically know what's going on inside. And, yeah, exactly. Um, you shouldn't start like that. And in fact, it's been a few months now. And after that competitor was acquired by a really big company, they didn't end up developing the product. So we're good. <laughs> You're good. Yes. That's you never know what other companies would do, right? So it's always better to focus on yourself and not be affected by external news. Yeah. That's a really good advice, honestly. And I think um, more often than not, right? Like people go through similar waves of emotions, right? Like you share mm. something, you're like, gosh, now what's going to happen to us? But the silver lining is that you don't know what's planned in the future for them. Yes. What you can control is the work you put in and how your product does and how you You can't control yes. what happens post-acquisition. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You don't know if they're going to wow. make a exactly. really bad decision that would end their lives, right? So just fuck it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're at the end of this conversation. It's been absolutely incredible to hear your personal story. What is your personal advice to immigrants and aspiring founders who are listening to this episode uh, on how to navigate entrepreneurship in the U.S. and mm -hmm. just how to navigate starting a company? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the advice that I always give to aspiring entrepreneurs is to fail cheap, fail fast, and fail forward. So in the 1950s, people were, most people were building factories and that's both capital intensive and it takes a lot of time for you to see the results. So it's both capital and time intensive. And then in the, in the 1980s, a lot of people pursue highly skilled jobs like doctors and lawyers. 
And mm. that is not as capital intensive, but it's still expensive to go to med school or law, law school. And it takes a lot of time. It takes more than six years for you to become a doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was 1950s, 1980s. Now let's first fast forward to, to the 2010s and now 2020s. Most people are in tech and it's both zero capital, basically, because you only need a Wi-Fi and a laptop in which you would have either way, even if you're not building anything in tech. And second, it's possible for you to just fail really quickly, learn from your mistakes and build something else because um, you can always not spend months to build, but just build a landing page, talk to your potential customers, validate the idea. If they don't like it, move on to something new or pivot. If they like it, then pursue it. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Fail cheap. Fail fast, fail fast, fail forward. I yeah. love it. Even like very effective advice. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Truly, this has been awesome. And I'm really excited to share this with the world. And yeah, your expertise and your journey has been absolutely inspirational. Thank you for sharing it publicly as well, because just like me, I know there's a couple other people who may have stumbled upon it and who might have been inspired. And um, without that, we wouldn't have met, we wouldn't have talked. Uh, so I really appreciate everything that you've been sharing to help other people in the community and in the startup ecosystem. Thank you so much, Harshita. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my story as well. I really want to inspire other entrepreneurs, especially immigrants, to follow my path and conquer the U.S. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode of Founders Without Borders. To stay connected and informed about new episodes, find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at Founders Without Borders. If you haven't already, please hit the follow button wherever you listen to your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Thank you for your support and for tuning in to this episode. This is Harshita, and I will see you next time.